Chapter Eight of A Queen by Ottilie Wildermuth, translated by Unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Estevan Simonides. Chapter Eight, A Home Queen. Many years have passed since the little maiden of our first acquaintance drove her flock of sheep into the farmyard. The farmer's house stands there still, and every chair and stool occupy the same place within it that they did in the days of poor old Granny. Maggie, too, is there, but no longer is the orphan dependent upon charity for a home. She is now the mistress of the farm, the house mother. Gertrude has grown to be a great girl, and hangs with affection about her sister-in-law. One of George's brothers is in America. The other still works upon the farm, and will pass the rest of his life there. The old farmer, Father Stephen of the Tannenhof, as he is called among the neighbors, is still well and tolerably strong for a man of his age. Indeed, he says that he ought to live twice as long as other people to enjoy seeing the industry and good management of his daughter-in-law and the honor in which she is everywhere held. He still works a little with the others, but not much. But his great enjoyment is to go, in the warm, sunny afternoon, to walk over the broad fields and see what rich blessings the Father in heaven sends, even in the times men call the worst, upon those who strive to serve and obey him. None could persuade Stephen that he would thus have prospered in his fields and his home had he turned the poor spinning woman's orphan from his door and left her to be cared for by strangers. None will ever make him doubt the truth of God's promise. He who giveth to one of these little ones a cup of cold water shall by no means lose his reward. He thinks that he has been repaid, richly, principal and interest for every penny little Maggie ever cost him. And so he has, in more ways than one. The rich wedding gift of the countess, added to the care and industry of the master, has made the farm indeed a noble one, and much has the young mother done for that master. Guided by her gentle precepts and example, he rules in joy and friendship all who surround him in the house and in the fields, and above all, in godly fear, he seeks to do not only what seems best for the worldly interests of his family, but what is right in the sight of God, and will bring down his blessing upon his toil. And amid all the prosperity that is thus bestowed upon her, amid all the abundance with which she is surrounded, Maggie has never forgotten that once she lived in this very house, a poor, destitute orphan, thrown by God's providence upon the charity of those whose place she now fills. The orphan never goes unrelieved from her door, and when the harvest is gathered in, bountifully as the table spread at the Tannenhof, not only for the reapers who have gathered it, but for the poor gleaners too, live they far or near. Nor is that all, for what is left from the meal never comes again upon her table. They glean the fragments thereto and carry them home in their baskets, and not for all the joys and blessings that have been showered upon her. Does grateful Maggie ever give such earnest, heartfelt thanks to her Father on high as for what she has the power to bestow upon the poor and friendless? That she once lived at service in the city with great people? Least of all that she was, yes, and still is, the dear adopted child of a countess, None would ever find out from her style of dress any more than they would from her behavior or manners. Though some might fancy that they could see its influence in the neatness and cleanliness with which she dresses her children and keeps her house, or in the winning softness of her voice and manners. When Maggie had been nearly ten years and had become sole mistress of the farm, 
With her husband's consent, she had the large upper room in which poor Granny had died nicely cleaned and fitted up like a town lodging. And then George went himself to see for and bring the poor old doctor to take possession of it, that he might end his days with them, free from care. But alas, he was too late. The doctor was dead. They had found him one morning lifeless in his bed. But he had not forgotten Maggie, and in his will had left her a fine and well-selected portion of his books. To her she herself it was almost a valueless gift, for she had little leisure and still less inclination for reading. But for her children it proved, in after years, a valuable inheritance. Though the old man never occupied the room so nicely prepared, Maggie soon after had the delight of receiving a visit from the countess, accompanied by two of her young granddaughters, who all came to pass a week with her. Indeed, they would have stayed longer, but the little ladies ate so much bread and fresh butter and drank so much rich sweet cream that they both became ill. Before the countess left, however, she made arrangements for erecting a neat gravestone to the memory of poor Christine the spinning woman, as she was called throughout the neighborhood, but to her the faithful servant and valued friend. It is again a beautiful Sunday evening, and the family, as at the beginning of our store, are enjoying their pleasant evening rest upon the lawn. George and Maggie, stooping a little, the old grandfather, in his great leathern chair that has been placed in the sun, and two rosy-cheeked boys and a strong, healthy girl are wandering about, as George and his brother and sister are used to do formally. But instead of the orphan Maggie, there sat her eldest son, reading from the Bible the story of Joseph and his brethren. So clear were his tones and so earnest his manner that the old grandfather declared he must be a clergyman. In Joseph's dream, Maggie saw the counterpart of her own, and nodding and laughing to her husband said, Didn't my dream come out too? I was to be a queen, you know. George looked round at his bright, healthy children, and abroad upon his broad, rich fields. He thought to have the peace in his home, and then looked at his faithful wife. And when he had done all this, he felt very much like making some kind of a speech. But all his life long he had never been a speechmaker. Yet his heart was so full that he must say something. So he took the Bible from the boy's hand and only observed, Give it to me, and I will read something too. It did not take him long to find what he sought, for he was well read in the holy book, and soon he began to read. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The tears rose to Maggie's eyes, and she bent her head forward like a queen upon whose brow they were about to place a crown. But it was already there. The love of her husband and household was the crown of her rejoicing. The End End of Chapter 8 Recording by Esterman Simonides End of A Queen by Ottilie Wildermuth Translated by Unknown